Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into... I'm not sure what to call this yet, on today's review episode. I can show you the world Just take a look through my eyes I watch a lot of movies. I think uh, I've made that fairly clear up through this point, and I've done a lot of review episodes, uh, 50 as of right now, since I started, uh, almost a year ago now. Um, it was last October when I started putting out episodes, and to that effect, I think that the ratio is fairly small in terms of the amount of movies that I go see in the theater and the amount of reviews I've done. And a couple of those reviews weren't even movies that I saw in the theater. So, you know, like every week or so, there's half of the movies that I see that really don't come up on the podcast. And not that that's necessarily a problem. You know, there are a lot of movies that I just don't have a lot of thoughts on, a lot of movies that I just, that aren't good. And, you know, that's, not always interesting to talk about, and um, you want to make, you know, I, through this point, was trying to make sure that I hit on at least all of the bigger event movies, you know, the Spider-Man Homecomings, the Wonder Women, the Dunkirks, uh, the Big Sick, etc., things like that, but, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't feel as though, you know, because there's somebody out there uh, who is going to look at a movie, a smaller movie, something that maybe a lot of people didn't look at, something like Good Time, which I reviewed last week, as a movie that is worth talking about, even if no one's going to see it, whether it's a good movie, whether it's a bad movie. Um, was that last week? I think that was, maybe it was two weeks ago, two Fridays ago. Uh, but regardless, so I, I want to try to start talking about everything that I see in the theaters, or if not everything, uh, of the vast majority, more things. And so today's episode uh, is going to kind of try to solve that issue a little bit. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see how it works, see how I feel about it, uh, because I don't want, I don't know, I, I need some sort of chain. I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm Working things out. I'm trying to figure this out a little bit. Um, so today's episode, because there wasn't, there were maybe there were a couple movies uh, that came out this this week, or rather, a couple movies that I saw this week that maybe could hold a full review episode on their own. Um, Angry Goes West, Lady Macbeth, uh, but I don't quite think. I, I don't know. I think it's a little iffy on that. Um, so rather than do a single review episode for any one film, uh, I'm going to do a larger review episode, uh, with six films in it. These are all six films that I've seen in the last week at the movie theater. And, um, I'm just going to go through them and talk about each one. Um, it will be less in depth than a general typical review episode, probably, uh, you know, maybe, one or two movies gets a little bit more detailed than the others, but for the most part, it'll be slightly briefer and 
to the best of my ability, lack any real spoilers. Um, you know, it's tough to talk about this many movies and involve spoilers because uh, more likely than not, most of the people listening to this haven't seen all of these movies, and so they might want to see one or two of them, and I don't want to ruin those movies in order for them to hear this, this a different movie that they are interested in listening to at the moment. But so, uh, additionally, I will put in the show notes, uh, show notes where I talk about like where each movie's segment begins, uh, so that if you are interested in skipping around, um, you can look at that right now and do so. Um, I'll be recording and talking about these movies in the order in which I saw them. So we'll start with Angry Goes West. Which I saw on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, on last Tuesday, uh, and then Leap on Wednesday, Lady Macbeth on Thursday, Annabelle Creation on Friday, Tulip Fever Saturday, and The Nut Job Two on Sunday. Um, so that's the schedule for today's episode, and uh, let's jump in to Ingrid Goes West. Ingrid Goes West uh, is an officially a two, is officially a 2017 film, um, R-rated, directed by Matt Spicer, writing, written by Matt Spicer and David Branson Smith, starring Aubrey Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and Wyatt Russell and Billy Magnuson. Uh, this is received a lot of like glowing reviews. It's a very contemporary comedy dark dark comedy but comedy uh about ingrid thorburn played by aubrey plaza who is kind of this obsessive instagram follower um if you've seen the trailer you see her kind of you know tears streaming down her face you know her mascara is running she walks into a wedding and maces the bride in the face first scene in the movie (laughs) <laughs> which is a great, actually, is a fantastic way to start out this movie and shows just how deranged she really is. She's following this person on Instagram. She is obsessing over them. She is copying what they do, doing what they do, and trying to become this person while simultaneously being this person's best friend. Like, it's a, it's a difficult dichotomy to to balance. And ultimately, this person is not friends with 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 Aubrey Plaza because they're just she just fucking follows her on Instagram. Like they're not hanging out in real life. They weren't. They didn't grow up together. They're not roommates. They're not classmates. They're they're just people who have existed in a similar area in the world. And for some unlucky circumstance, in uh, I believe her name was Charlotte's case, the the first character that. Aubrey Plaza is obsessing over. In Charlotte's case, it is painful and damaging to her that uh, just it's unlucky that Aubrey Plaza picked her. Um, but that's how it went in this case. Uh, so we see Aubrey Plaza taken away. You know, she's kind of insane and everyone tries to get her some help. But uh, what ultimately ends up happening is she returns home, finds out she's been left a large sum of money, uses that money, travels to the West Coast, 
where she finds somebody else uh, to to obsess over, and that is Elizabeth Olsen's character, Taylor Sloan. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is great in this movie. Um, she has to play this picturesque, but also, you know, kind of very fake person in the same way that Aubrey Plaza does. You know, obviously we see everything from Plaza's point of view, so we get the idea that she's very fake from the from the outset. Elizabeth Olsen, it's a little less clear just how fake she is uh, until a particular point in the movie, and she she plays that really well. You know, she comes off very sweet, very charming, until ultimately she kind of reveals her true colors um, as we are revealed to, uh, as Aubrey Plaza's true colors are revealed to her. Uh, along the way, Plaza meets O'Shea Jackson Jr., who rents her, her apartment in L.A. Uh, Wyatt Russell plays Elizabeth Olsen's husband, boyfriend, boyfriend. And Billy Magnuson plays Elizabeth Olsen's brother. Uh, Magnuson, who was also in Birth of the Dragon, which came out the other week, um, in which he was really bad in that movie, he's actually quite serviceable in this. He's kind of, he's like, deranged on the face of him um but also you know he's he's very disturbed and close with uh his sister in the movie it's kind of strange it's kind of creepy he's not a nice person um, and white russell you know is a nice person he's kind of he's nice definitely nicer than billy magnuson's character i like white russell i think he's very good in this i think he's very good in most things actually and so he plays a little bit more of a subdued kind of drunk person who seems to always be taking a backseat to Elizabeth Olsen and uh, everything that she's got going on in her life. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr., who is uh, Ice Cube's son, is and was in uh, Straight Outta Compton as Ice Cube. He, uh, he is... A Batman fanatic, which is perhaps the funniest part of the movie, him and his Batman references. Uh, he has one line. I fucking, I fucking love it. Um, he's talking to Aubrey Plaza, and he he looks at her, and he's like, he's like, ah, oh, you said you were Catwoman, but you're really just Two Face, and I can't deliver the line as great as he can. Uh, his delivery is fantastic in that line. But it's uh, it cracked me up. I thought it was so funny, and just just his his entire character is so interesting because he is the an authentic person amidst Plaza and Olsen and Russell and Magnuson, who are these really not authentic people. Uh, Plaza and Olsen are just completely fake on the on the surface, and whereas you have Russell and Magnuson who are sort of like insecure projecting about you know trying to project these facades in a different sense than the female characters are so the movie i really enjoyed actually i I really really like this movie um and uh i've rated it very highly i gave it an 81 and that puts it one point behind Wonder Woman, two points ahead of Baby Driver for me on the year. 
and I just I had such a good time watching it. Uh, there are a lot of really awkward and just 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 kind of those scenes where you like you can't bear to watch them because you just know bad things are happening and you don't want bad things to happen. Uh, it's it's um, also just. <sighs> It, it, it kind of, it climaxes a little messily, but the path to get there is so refreshing and so enjoyable. You know, Aubrey Plaza is a standout. And Elizabeth Olsen, excuse me, Elizabeth Olsen, who just, who I'd just recently seen in Wind River, who is great in Wind River, is just as great in this. Uh, she's more of a lead character in Wind River than she is in Ingrid Goes West. And I've reflected that in my Circle of Film Awards, but she's just fantastic so um that being said uh ingrid goes west as far as the circle of film awards go it's got three nominations right now female lead for Aubrey plaza female supporting for elizabeth olsen and screenplay uh, it's it's really well written it it does a lot of interesting things with the way it sort of positions its characters uh you know thinking of you know there are a lot of movies where you see contrivances and conveniences simply for the sake of putting characters in positions where they will obviously just um i don't know just like any any kind of i'm sure you've seen scenarios in movies where one character mistakes another character for a third character and you're watching it and you're like, really? Like, you're not going to actually, like, ask about any of this stuff? You're not just going to take this glimpse of thing that you saw and assume, like, I don't know, it's just all these assumptions that are made and it feels very unearned, it feels very inauthentic. And in this movie, situations like that, um, there's a scene where Harvey Plaza happens to walk past the kitchen of Elizabeth Olsen's house and sees Elizabeth, or not, it might not be her house, but um, the house that they're at, and sees Elizabeth Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen talking to somebody, another character, about something private that she had already talked to Aubrey Plaza about, and Aubrey Plaza gets kind of upset about this, because she thought it, she was, like, personal, thought it was, they were friends, they were closer than this, and that's a scene that, you know, you see it in other movies, and it's played for laughs, you know, you see people, like, fall through doorways because the door opens while they're leaning against it. Things, all, all kind of bullshit like that. But the way that the scene plays out in this movie is something, it's it's just, it's written well. It's, you know, first O'Shea Jackson's, O'Shea Jackson's character, like, intercepts her before she can do anything. And I thought that interaction was well written. Then she actually does enter the room. And just the way the voices come out, the way that the dialogue is written, it's just, it sounds so real particularly for this time period, um, incorporating the Instagram and the hashtags and, you know, Twitter speak, as it were. I just think it, it just seems it's so natural in the most unnatural way, if that makes any sense. I don't know. If that makes any sense, maybe it does. I'm not sure. But Ingrid Goes West, I recommend it. I think it's it's not the easiest film to watch, for sure. It's very cringy, but it is definitely a film that I found to be very good and of very high quality. Ingrid Goes West, 
Awesome. Um, moving on, uh, the next film that I saw was the animated kids movie Leap, um, originally titled Ballerina. Uh, it was actually released in not the United States, France, originally, last year. Then it came over here and did some festivals. And then December last year, it started being released in other European countries, Belgium, France, uh, UK, Ireland, Netherlands, Greece, etc. Before finally making its way to the United States a couple of weeks ago. And it it shows. Uh, it's, it's not very good. It's animation is not good the story is not good and the voice acting is is not really that good uh, the casting is also very puzzling it's got I, I think you know I don't know why Elle Fanning chose to do this movie I don't know why Carly Rae Jepsen is voicing the character of a mother figure she's voice is just too young for that uh, you've got Kay McKinnon voicing like three different characters and Nat Wolf playing the male lead. I don't know, just a lot of things. I didn't, it didn't all fit. It didn't work. It wasn't cohesive. It didn't make sense that much. And it's a shame. I think there's a couple problems. And the first is that the movie feels like it should have come out 20 years ago because I don't know that there are little girls now that still want to be ballerinas and now maybe this movie is going to set uh you know affect a couple of them and influence a couple of them to want to be ballerinas it's fine you know like obviously there still are ballerinas like I'm not saying you shouldn't want to be one but I think that that's a an occupation a position a dream that isn't quite as prevalent as it used to be. I don't know what the new thing for for little kids is, but but I don't think it's ballerina. Uh, so so that felt a little strange given when this came out, 2017. Uh, additionally, because the film was originally released in France. Um, you can tell that some of the voices have been dubbed. It's not, doesn't sync up very well. There are a couple of scenes where the mouths are moving and the words are not what comes out of those mouths. Uh, some of the mouth animation is, uh, is very subtle so that it doesn't have to sync up perfectly. And a lot of the scenes, the voices are, you know, you'll see characters from behind that are talking which is just really odd to see in an animated movie because clearly they dubbed that scene and didn't know, like didn't had to rewrite it or something to that effect, uh, which is always draws me out of the movie for sure. That being said, despite all of its flaws, it is a movie that has a surprisingly cogent emotional core it's not well written it's not well performed it's not well done but somehow the the, the core emotions in this movie you know the the Elle Fanning character and her drive to be 
a a ballerina i think it's mostly el fanning who is able to give this movie some some heart and passion and she's committed she is very committed to this performance and it's only the the writing that really lets her down for uh, her character of felici because you know i really and i think i'm pretty sure i was the only person in the theater watching this but i really did connect to her desire to want to be a dancer someone who wants to be uh, successful and through studying with Carly Rae Jepsen's character Odette she is slowly becomes a dancer she becomes successful and it's done well enough in that respect to the point where uh, you can see it doesn't matter if she wins or loses this this tryouts competition thing that she's going through because you can see on the screen that she's actually getting better in a in physically in a physical sense you know she's able uh, to do the moves and able to do the jumps and the leaps and the spins and the twirls she can do all these things so whether or not she's picked to star in the in the performance and the dance we know as the audience that she is actually improving and that isn't an easy thing to capture and so it's impressive that they were able to do that on the other hand uh the entire storyline with victor's character uh, the character of victor voiced by nat wolf is unremarkable we don't see much of it he's trying to be an inventor we see that he um is infatuated with felici he likes her he wants to be with her and she just doesn't realize it which is another silly trope of movies but we don't see enough of him to care enough about him and so that so like his sort of big moments toward the end of the movie are very unearned uh because for me the character that i most was in most intrigued me was carly ray jepsen's odette now, I don't think Carly Rae Jepsen is the right voice for that character, but I do think that the character itself is someone worth telling a story about. Uh, Odette is a maid in a wealthy house who works with Felici and ultimately becomes Felici's teacher, dance teacher, because Odette used to be a dancer, but hurt herself and can't really dance anymore. There's a scene where Felici and her male instructor at the school watch Odette mopping the floor, and she's doing it very gracefully, almost a little too gracefully, uh, considering how hurt she's supposed to be, but I'll let that pass. And I think that that character just seems so much more expressive and has such a richer story underneath their surface than the Felici character. You know, Felici, how many times have we seen a movie where the young person leaves the small sit, small town to go to the big city to become a star? Uh, hundreds of times. But I don't think we've seen the sort of beyond their prime, uh, you know, hurt themselves in the middle while doing the thing they love, now becomes a teacher story, done like intentionally like cars 3 came out earlier this year 
which was essentially a movie that was trying to push Lightning McQueen into a position where he was the teacher teaching a different car. You know, he's finally passed his prime, and now he's teaching a new car how to be a good racer. So, you know, that... But that movie had its own kind of issues, and it didn't focus on that um, storyline as much as I wanted it to either. And I think a movie that does focus on that storyline could have done really well. I think it probably doesn't... Like, you could have still marketed it to, to, to the same audience and then ultimately, like, sort of shared the screen between Felicity and Odette. Like, the movie definitely focuses far too much on Felicity. And while I think Elle Fanning is the best voice in the movie, it, it could have... I think the character of Odette definitely would have been a lot more worthwhile to follow and to try to come to understand and try to learn about. And I think, so So Leap, you know, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Uh, but it does, you know, it's officially a 2016 movie, which is frustrating. I hate that quite so much. I hate that a lot. Um, I gave it a pretty low score. I gave it a 23, um, which, to compare that to some of the movies that came out this year, puts it on par with a movie like Table 19, the Anna Kendrick movie, uh, puts it three points behind The Dark Tower, so um, pretty bad. Uh, as far as like Cars 3, I gave it a 31, um, you know, because at least Cars 3 looks amazing, like it has great effects and graphics, uh, but but leap does not it doesn't and cars 3 definitely has better voice acting as well i think so leap 31 uh, uh no circle film awards because it's not even a 2017 movie and that's about it you know i i don't think you should go see it personally i think it's it's there's a lot of better movies out there for young children young females or males whichever and so I think it's it's you're better off going to see I don't know anything else <laughs> not anything else but you you know what I mean like if I look just looking at like last year go watch Moana uh, go watch Kubo and the Two Strings go watch Zootopia um, those are three infinitely infinitely better films than Leap uh, go watch Sing. Like, Sing is a nice movie that's very enjoyable and doesn't do things wrong. Leap does a lot of things wrong, and I think that's its biggest issue. So, Leap. Number two, Leap. Moving on to number three. I saw this movie on Thursday last week, and it is a movie I've been actually looking forward to a lot. Uh, it stars Florence Pugue? I probably pronounced that wrong. Pugue. That doesn't tell me on here. Uh, Florence Pugue. Pug. 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 As well as Cosmo Jarvis. Uh, Cosmo Jarvis is actually um, a musician and singer, first and foremost, as far as I'm aware. Um, I'm looking at his IMDb page. He has a handful of credits on here and they list him as an actor director which i would not agree with um he is 
I don't know. He he's uh he's more of a musician performer. I would check him out on YouTube. I actually really like his music. That's what drew me to the movie in the first place. Um, he's got a very interesting voice and an interesting style, uh, and I think that he really benefited from being in a movie where he didn't have to do much. Um, I don't know if he's a good actor or not. He's fine in this. Uh, he's not given a lot to do on a couple of his big scenes. I think he's actually pretty good, but I think on some of the more less impactful scenes, he is just okay. Um, but really, this movie is about Florence Pugh. I feel like that's not the right way to say it, though. Let me see. Pronounce Florence Pugh. There's got to be a better way to... It's got to tell me. All right. Let me see if you can... Oh. Pugh. Pugh. Okay. There's no G sound. I'm sorry if that was really loud. I'll go back and check it, if it is. Okay. Um. So Florence Pugh is the best thing about this movie hands down uh she plays Catherine. she's amazing uh so lady Macbeth, also officially a 2016 movie directed by william oldroyd written by nikolai leskov and alice birch um, outside of florence Pugh and cosmo jarvis it doesn't star anybody particularly recognizable um i guess christopher fairbank uh who plays uh florence Pugh's father-in-law who was most, I don't know, he's been in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, he's been in Guardians of the Galaxy as um, the Broker. I don't know if that rings any bells to any of you, uh, but he's probably the next best, most recognizable person in the movie. And the story kind of follows uh, Catherine. She is uh, bought in marriage, uh, for a plot of land, along with a plot of land, excuse me, and is married to uh, Alexander, Paul Hilton's character. Uh, she is incredibly unhappy. She's forced to stay inside all day. She is forced to stay up until her husband comes to bed. She doesn't have sex with him he kind of like makes her face the wall while he masturbates to her naked body it's very very odd but then what ends up happening is as she falls for Cosmo Jarvis's character uh, she is begins to sort of go insane um she's she's it, I don't, it's tough i it's tough to talk about this without really going into spoilers um firstly i definitely want to say you should go see it it's i think it's amazing uh, one of the better movies i've seen this summer and i think that the performance that florence Pugh gives is remarkable this is a movie that has a lot of incredibly violent things happen in it given you know, it's kind of a release for for uh, Catherine's character. She's pent up. She is uh, treated coldly, distantly. Um, 
disrespectfully by every human being around her, including Cosmo Jarvis from the first part of it. She's not, you know, and the fact that, you know, the servants in her house are forced to listen to the male characters also means that she doesn't get a lot of sympathy from them either. And so she takes opportunities where she can find them to improve her standing in the house. Uh, Take that as you will. And she goes from this sort of calculating um, cold person to more of a just viscerally emotional killer. It's, It's... incredible to watch this transformation happen on the screen she is truly terrifying there are two big scenes that of her for her that i really really loved and uh the first one i definitely can talk about she's very drunk <laughs> um she's having dinner with her father-in-law uh, her her husband is away and her one of the servants, uh, Anna, is serving them dinner, and Florence Pugh is like cl- falling over herself drunk, and the father-in-law, Boris, asks Anna to go get a bottle of wine, a particular kind of wine that he really wants, and so she goes in the kitchen, she talks to the cook, the cook's like, no, it's, you know, Catherine drank it all, like, that's why it's not there, we don't have any more. And so you see this realization on Anna's face, like, oh shit, I have to go back and tell him that there's no more wine left. And I also, like, but she's kind of, you know, she's a woman. Uh, She's a black woman, but she's a woman, while Florence Pugh is white and technically, you know, in a position above her. But in this case, you know, Anna could tell Boris, Catherine drank the wine, and that would be bad for Catherine. But... Instead, you see Anna returns to the kitchen, or returns to the dining room, explains that there's no more wine. Boris is like, are you sure? Did you double check? He gets starts to get angry. She's like, no, there is no more wine. And in this, in, in, as this is happening, Florence Pugh, Catherine, gets up, walks around the dinner table, goes to sit in a different chair on the other side of the room, and she's like dizzyingly... Uh, uh, tipsy, drunk. She she puts on this really interesting and very kind of creepy look on her face as she just stares at Anna from behind Boris. And her face, she doesn't say a thing, but her face, or she does say, I think she's one line, yeah, Anna, what happened to it? Or something like that. But the whole time she's looking at Anna, she's just saying with her face, like, I dare you to tell him. I dare you to tell the truth. Come on, Anna. I dare you to tell the truth. And Anna doesn't. She keeps her mouth shut and is humiliated for it, um, which also results in a really interesting camera uh, decision, which I I really like. There's a uh, Boris forces Anna to crawl on her hands and knees like an animal, and the camera follows Anna but never goes down to her new level. So, like, you do only see the top of her head as she's crawling away, which I thought was a really artistic and a strong decision to make. Uh, so, yeah, so Kat, Ferns Pugh 
I don't know. Maybe I didn't describe that well enough to, to kind of give you the impression of how interesting uh, Florence Pugh, her face is. Like, she's very expressive, despite how cold her, her, her character can be. And she has a couple more scenes just similarly where she just, she does something and, you know, she looks, she's very flat-faced. She's almost as if nothing untoward is happening. Uh, there's a scene where she drags a chair over to another part of the room to lock a door from her side and she does it very emotionlessly she does it very solemnly and ultimately and then just like goes back and sits down while someone dies um and then the scene a scene later on where she reveals to some another character that she's having this affair with Cosmo Jarvis she actually just drags Cosmo Jarvis out in front of this third character, throws him on the bed, and proceeds to have sex with him in front of this person, which, and, and just all the while staring at this third person. Oh, it's, it's very unnerving. She is very unnerving, but amazing, like absolutely amazing in this role. I love it. She would easily, easily jump to the top of the list in my lead actress um, nominations for this year but she is a 2016 in a 2016 film and so that's not feasible um i was hesitant to retroactively put her in the 2016 field but i do think she wouldn't make it actually i think that you know i'm looking at the 2016 field again um, you got Haley Steinfeld from Edge of Seventeen, uh, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Annette Bening, 20th Century Women, um, Howie Cravalho from Moana, and, um, oh, what's her name, from, uh, and you've got Kim Min Hee, I think, or is it Kim Tae Forget which one I picked. I think it's Kim Min Hee from The Handmaiden. It's, uh, you know, so there's there's just it's just a lot of um, I don't know. There's I just think the quality there is all very very high. I don't think she is good enough to sneak into that top five, um, but she would definitely have been in the list for this year at the moment. Um, the field is currently not as strong, but we still have a few months left, and that's kind of why that is. So, um, on the other hand, though, uh, I rated the film uh, Lady Macbeth. I rated the film an 89, uh, which actually does change the top 20 from last year. Uh, it actually comes in as number 16. Set 15, number 15. 2016 um even with sing street uh actually one spot behind sing street when you factor in um tiebreakers and one point ahead of moonlight best picture winner moonlight uh, drops a spot to 16th in 2016 um and that's the only movie i've seen florence Pugh in or Cosmo Jarvis, for that matter. I am very interested to see her in other things. 
but she really doesn't have that big a filmography. You know, she's only 21 right now. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be looking for other things of hers. She's got a couple of films announced on IMDb. There's Outlaw King, which is filming. No year attached to it. Um, there's a movie called Hush. Supposed to come out this year. It says it's in post-production. Um, about two siblings who run a profitable ghost-busting racket, which is interesting. Uh, the Commuter, a businessman, is caught up in a criminal conspiracy during his daily commute home. Um, she is a much smaller character in that, though. And then finally, Fighting With My Family, written and directed by Stephen Merchant. A former wrestler and his family make a living performing at small venues around the country. Cool. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. So I'm definitely keeping my eye out for her because I am very interested in everything else she does. So that's uh, Lady Macbeth, number three. Next up, we have Annabelle Creation. Uh, if you know, you may have realized this. I don't think I've necessarily come out and said it all too often, but a horror movies really not my thing. I'm not a huge horror fan. I don't enjoy being um, jump scared or just scared in general when I go to the movies, and I think I think the great and really good and great horror films are very few and far between. And most of the ones that I consider horror films are ones that you don't really think of when you think of horror. Uh, not in the same sense, anyway. Uh, you know, I'm... You know, my favorite horror films are Evil Dead 2, Aliens... Silence of the Lambs, Pan's Labyrinth, Alien, Shaun of the Dead. Like, Aliens is probably more of an action movie, to be honest. Uh, 28 Days Later, Slither, um, Cabin in the Woods, They Live. Um, that's about it. <laughs> There's not a lot of them. Most of them are more fantasy action sci-fi bent or comedy bent you know there are very not movies that i'm i'm strict horror not really for me i i find it very difficult to enjoy them i'm a much much more a fan of thriller um looking at my top 250 stats uh i've seen 10 of the top 250 movies i've seen of my top 250 are classified as horror and 61 of them are classified as thriller that's a huge disparity uh, and and I just I'm just not into it. I just I'm really not. Uh, so you know, looking at movies from last year um, that were generally considered horror movies, uh, you've got things like Hush. Hush I thought was great um, because I think for me the the human element is is much more intriguing side of a horror movie hush is not supernatural hush is not um demonic or anything like that it's just a home invader 
uh, attacks a deaf and mute woman. Um, or or uh, looking down the list here, uh, you know, it's difficult for me to find them because there aren't a lot that I saw. Uh, Split, I guess you could call horror, thriller, horror. Uh, I really liked that. The Monster, I actually really enjoyed. Um, that's more of a creature thriller um, than a supernatural, demonic types of type of film. Um, the Autopsy of Jane Doe, I thought was quite good. Uh, but but none of the none of those movies eclipsed like an eighty for me. Like they're very like they're very subdued as far as the rating scale. And and this year, even um, you know, I wouldn't call a ghost story a horror movie. Uh, Get Out is definitely a horror movie, but it's it's so unconventional and so different from a generic horror movie that it's tough to like even put them in the same category almost. So, looking at a film like Annabelle Creation uh, is is interesting because it's for me it's not a genre i'm interested in generally it's a genre i think of all of the genres is the hardest to be more creative with which is why i'm so impressed with what um uh, jordan peele was able to do with get out i did watch the original annabelle uh, in preparation for this film uh, from 2014 i gave it a 10 out of 100 or a 1 out of 100, I thought it was awful. Uh, so I was not super excited to see its own prequel. And it itself, I think, is a prequel from The Conjuring. So I'm really... I'm fine with there being a Conjuring universe. I just don't fully understand it, I guess. At least the, the sort of mapping out of the different films and sort of where they end up in relation to each other. So, again, yeah, not super excited. You know, I did not realize, you know, this one's gotten a lot better reviews than the first Annabelle did. Uh, a lot more people like this. Um, I'd seen the trailer. The trailer was suitably creepy and felt that way. Um, and so I went to the movie late at night, of course, and I was pleased it's it's tough you know it was a lot better than i thought it was going to be but it wasn't good you know i i think lights out was good from last year i thought don't breathe was good i don't think this is good um because it falls into this horror trap uh, particularly like religious satanic horror trap that i i just i hate so much and and that is that like how undefined the rules are when they deal when you're dealing with religious horror uh i'm i'm happy to accept the that genre as a genre like if that's how they want to do it that's great um and like obviously that's been a long time tradition you know at so many of the better horror movies and the more revered horror movies like the exorcist are genre films and and or not genre films are religiously themed horror films so uh, that in and of itself i don't have an issue with my issue is that within the film there aren't 
defined rules as it pertains to the religion element. So um, if we're being led to believe that these, this doll is a conduit for demonic or satanic energy, which in the movie it is believed and claimed to be. Uh, and also in the movie we see a flashback scene of uh, priests uh, blessing the doll. We, it's put in a wardrobe where it is, um, which is then lined with passages from the Bible uh, in an attempt to block the power of the demon from escaping is the impression I get which again is also fine like I get that and so under those circumstances it seems like the only way to reactivate or um, um, you know other otherwise reactivate or otherwise this this energy this power would be for some unknowing person to happen to open up the cabinet thereby releasing said demonic satanic power from the doll that makes sense to me what doesn't make sense is how the doll and the power the demonic power behind it are able to communicate despite being within this wardrobe uh now are we like for me are we supposed to believe that the doll is just now more powerful that the energy is now more powerful that it's been lying dormant for all these years and it's just been waiting for its moment that seems that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit within the context of the movie. Um, or, uh, you know, are we supposed to think that? Or on the other hand, are we just saying that the lining the wardrobe with passages from the Bible, blessing it, um, all this, that, and the other thing, is that supposed to be ineffective? In which case, one, why has the doll just not done anything until this point? Or two, why do we even like like it, it, then then just why does it matter what kind of demonic what kind of energy is in the doll in the first place if um if if um, if holy texts and holy water and that kind of stuff are ineffectual why do why is that even an element you know like what's the point. Uh, because that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. It's not a cohesive through line. And it's just very frustrating. Uh, furthermore, furthermore, you know, this is a film that necess necessarily ends without resolution because we know that there is a sequel, Annabelle. Uh, we know that it is involved in the Conjuring universe and the Conjuring movies as well. So obviously they can't destroy the energy and, and spirit within the doll. But by the end of the movie, if if this is, again, if this is a demonic or satanic power residing in this doll, and these are priests and, and people of the men of the cloth at the end of the movie, doing what they can to exercise or, or cleanse the house, the doll, whatever. Like, you would think that they could tell the difference between a doll that's possessed and a doll that isn't. And clearly, based on the clips we see at the end of the movie, this doll is not possessed anymore 
but that has nothing to do with the fact that they cleansed it. It's the fact that the spirit has gone somewhere else. So, you know, I don't, like, for me personally, like, I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in, in any religion myself. Um, I am a self-pronounced atheist. And so, obviously, I don't think that the real world operates the way it does in so many of these religious horror movies. But if you're giving me these parameters that this is a religious-based spirit, demon, whatever it is, and that this movie is operating in those parameters, um, why are you, like, why don't the things within the movie that all pertain to those th issues sync up? Because they don't. They just, they don't, they don't sync up at all. So I, I've, uh, that in and of itself, like, things like that always irk me from the get-go. Um, particularly with these sort of religious horror movies. That being said, uh, this movie is terrifying for me. I often, you know, I, I generally prefer to watch horror movies at home uh, because it's a lot easier to control the environment I see them in. And I am less paranoid about every little thing. But when I do see them in the movie theater, uh, I am the person who is pulling their hat down over their eyes. You know, I put my headphones in. I'm listening to music or, or something while the movie is very quiet because I know that something is about to get loud. Uh, I, I have a difficult time watching these movies. I, I admit it, first and foremost, it's creepy. And I'm working through that you know i part of one of my goals now that i've since i've gotten a movie pass is to try and go see more horror movies and try to really come to terms with the fact that like they're just movies and i have to be able to watch them and i'm getting better uh slowly and surely i i i'm making progress but animal creation is very creepy uh, you know, and it's got a good cast. I really like Lulu Wilson as Linda. Uh, she was also in Lights Out. Mm, Ouija. She was in Ouija, Origin of Evil. I thought she was good in that. She's very creepy. Uh, Miranda Otto is great in this. Um, Anthony LaPeglia I thought was pretty good. Samara Lee is also good. But... Um, a lot of the other children at the, in the movie, I was very lukewarm on. Stephanie Sigmund especially really irritated me. I thought she was terrible. And a lot of the characters in this movie are not just not written well. Um, as is generally a big complaint I have in most horror movies is the writing. Like, <laughs> There's only so much suspension of disbelief you can have in these kinds of movies for idiotic decisions. And not that every character is this way, but some of the characters just don't, uh, don't, don't pass that test. And so Animal Creation, definitely a far cry better than its counterpart. I gave it a 44, uh, which makes it the middle film of the three Conjuring movies I've seen. It is um, far better than Annabelle, significantly worse than The Conjuring. I thought The Conjuring was pretty good all things considered so i haven't seen the conjuring 2 yet 
Uh, I've heard that's pretty good. It's one of the most popular films on Letterboxd that I haven't seen. So I'm, I'm working on it. I'll, I'll definitely get to it in this short term. Uh, Animal Creation ends up tied with a movie called The Wall, which came out not uh, early, earlier in the summer. Um, it's a point behind Wilson, the uh, Woody Harrelson film, and a point ahead of Booker and Triple X Return of Xander Cage. So it's not in great company, to be honest. But uh, it's gotten a lot better rece- reception from fans than from me. And hey, more power to them. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, speaking of horror movies, before we move on to the next film, uh, it comes out this weekend. I'm gonna see it. Um, it's supposed to be pretty good. It's gotten I've heard really positive reviews from the film up to now. It's got an 8.6 on uh, IMDB. It is insanely popular, and I have never seen anything else about these movies, or about this movie. Like, I've never seen a previous iteration of it. I never read the books. Not a big Stephen King fan on in general, but I'm very, I mean, if this is as good as it's being proclaimed to be, I mean, I'm going to go see it, and presumably and try to be less terrified and and afraid of watching the screen than i generally am so we'll see how that goes uh so animal creation give it 44 next up number five fifth movie saw this saturday afternoon is uh tulip fever Starring Alicia Vikander, Dane DeHaan, Jack O'Connell, Holiday Granger, Tom Hollander, Matthew Morrison, Kevin McKidd, uh, Zach Galifianakis, Judy Dench, Christoph Waltz, David Harewood, and Cara Delevingne. Delevingne? Delevingne? I'm not going to look that one up. She's not in the movie enough to to warrant it. Directed by Justin Chadwick, uh, written by Deborah Mogick, Tom Stoppard. Uh, and based upon the novel by Deborah Mogak, who I'm also probably pronouncing the name wrong. Tulip Fever is a film that was shot in 2014, didn't come out until this year, kind of dumped on us unceremoniously, um, which is surprising. You know, it's a period drama that, and those are generally play very well, uh, but it this one hasn't. It's making next to nothing at the box office. Uh, it's featuring it's it's very very poorly reviewed uh and so i went to see it saw it with the girlfriend uh she liked it um and i watched it uh not that i'm gonna say it's it's the worst movie ever i don't think it is um it's certainly better than a film like, uh, what was I? Uh, one of the leap. It's better than leap. Um, you know, I think the performances in this are solid. Uh, I like Alicia Vikander in this movie. I like Jack O'Connell. I like Holiday Granger. I like Tom Hollander. Uh, so, I think that the performances are good. Like Christoph Waltz is great in this too. Unfortunately, like the writing is absolute shit. And, like, the characters aren't great, the motivations are bad, and 
uh, film looks a little cheap. I remember remarking that I wish like I could leave my house and be in the middle of a marketplace as Lisa Vikander, Vikander's character does. And to that effect, like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Like that sort of whole, that whole kind of world that existed in that time is really fascinating to me. But this movie just doesn't do it justice. And then, of all things, the movie focuses... Has too many characters, additionally. Like, I went through a ton of names in this movie. Cara Delevingne, uh, Judy Dench, Zach Galifianakis, Kevin McKidd, Matthew Morrison... Are, like, almost all superfluous. They don't have a huge impact on the plot. Uh, they don't really make a lot of decisions for the main characters. They are pretty much just um just 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 uh roads blocks in the way of what other characters are need to do and none more so than zach galifianakis i think he's a fine actor i think he's okay i love him in the hangover or birdman or or I don't know. Maybe that's just it. I love him in Hangover. I love him in Birdman. There's other ones I've seen. I like him in, but those are the big ones. And his character we see maybe three times. The first time he's posing as Christoph Waltz to help Dane Hahn paint. The second time he's accompanying Dane Hahn to try and steal tulips uh, from a local nunnery. Um, at which point he is terrified of geese and runs away. And the third time is he is entrusted to take a lar take a contract to a person exchange that contract for an incredibly incredibly valuable tulip think like the hope diamond and bring that tulip back to Dane Dehan that's it and of course he fails because on the way back with the tulip he gets drunk and eats it and i really don't think i need to say much more about this it's just so stupid because Dane Han like literally stands in front of him and says, don't drink, just go get the tulip and bring it back. And then obviously you know what's going to happen. And I don't really want to talk about this movie anymore. I, I've talked about it to death and listened about it to death. And in this case, to death is like an hour. Like it's not even a lot of time. So... I don't recommend going see it. I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's going to do anything for the awards. I'd be... Yeah, I, I just... I don't get it. I don't know why it was made. I think it's just really badly written. So, Tulip Fever. Uh, I gave it a 27. So, it's not like the worst movie ever. But it's just such a nothing movie. It's just so dumb. It's got one point more than The Dark Tower. It's on par with Adam Sandler's Sandy Wexler. It has an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, just, 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 just skip it. Honestly, just skip it. That's number five, Tulip Fever. Number six, and the last movie, movie I saw last night, is The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature. Um, I took some notes on this one. Uh, but first, a little, the, it's PG. It's uh, directed by Cal Brunker, Callan Brunker, written by Bob Barlin, uh, Callan Brunker, Scott Bindley, and based on characters created by Peter Lepeniatis. 
starring the voices talents of Will Arnett, Catherine Heigl, Maya Rudolph, Bobby Cannavale, Jackie Chan, Bobby Moynihan, uh, Peter Stormare, Gabriel Iglesias, Jeff Dunham, among others. You've, uh, if you've seen the first nut job, then you're probably not interested in the second one. <laughs> uh, the first nut job I gave an eight. Um, so I was not high on it at all. But at least I thought the first one had a decent like conceit. Uh, it's about creatures from a park trying to steal nuts from a nut shop. Uh, the second movie, within the first five minutes, the nut, jaw, nut shop explodes, and then the mayor decides to build a theme park on the park that the creatures from the nut shop now have relocated to. Feels like that should have been its own movie, just losing the nut shop. I don't know why we had this theme park thing on top of it, um, because it feels like somebody said, hey... What if we build a theme park on top of a park where animals live? Somebody else said, we could do that with the nut job. And somebody else said, but they just, but like, they don't live in the park anymore. So, like, we need a reason to get them in the park. Let's make this nut shop explode. <sighs> oh, man. It's it just, it's not good. Uh, so, some of the notes I had, I took a couple of notes watching the movie. Um, the movie uh, featuring um, who's it? Uh, Maya Rudolph voices a dog, a pug named Precious, who likes to lick Surly, Will Arnett's character. Surly hates it, uh, and so that's part of the movie. Is like, oh, okay, you can lick me once because this really good thing just happened. Fine. Uh, at one point in the movie, the, there's Buddy, this silent character. Um, mouse character, rat character, actually, who is Surly's best friend, doesn't talk, who we think dies, and when Precious licks him at the, quote, funeral, he moves, so he's not dead, and Surly's like, you gotta lick him, you gotta lick him again, you gotta lick him again, even when you're in a coma, you can't stand being licked by a dog is ridiculous okay like the idea that this dog has resuscitative powers by licking someone uh, like not even resuscitative powers like like um reanimation like this thing is dead and and whatever okay next thing um i liked this this is this is one of the moments i actually liked uh there are these um Guys in hazmat suits who are there, they're like pest control for the animals. And one of them captures the ground, a groundhog, throws him in the back of his truck, turns to his other to another guy on in the hazmat suit. And these are characters like we're not connected with whatsoever. But he just looks at the other character and he says, Guess there's gonna be six more weeks of winter. And he holds up his hand for a high five, and the other guy just like shakes his head. And the first guy says something to the effect of like, "Ah, oh, come on, it's a great groundhog joke. And I loved it. I thought it was really funny. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of puns and things like that. But uh, yeah, liked that. I thought that was really funny. Um, not so funny. Uh, there's a scene 
where three of these pest control guy trucks drive over to the amusement park. Um, imagine this, four parking spaces next to each other. We'll label them one, two, three, and four. Okay. First truck parks neatly in space number one. Second truck parks neatly in space number four. So you've got two and three in the middle. Third truck parks diagonally, taking up both spaces two and three. Totally don't care, right? Like it's not even, does not matter. These are people we don't know and don't understand and have not learned the names of even. So then one of the drivers of the cars that are parked well says to the driver of this third truck, come on, nobody likes a space hog or something like to that effect. And so we have like 20, 30 seconds of this third truck backing up and rearranging itself to try and fit between the lines of one of these two spaces. Sure, I, I get that. Like, okay, not a funny joke, but at least I understand. Like, I can connect to that, I guess. But then the scene cuts, like, like different shot, same scene, of all three trucks lined up in a row in three spots that are right next to each other. So, clearly, there should be a spot between two of the trucks, and there isn't. It's it just really small thing, totally doesn't matter in a kid's movie. Annoyed the hell out of me. Parking job, awful. Uh, another thing, there's Jackie Chan's character, Mr. Fang, is a mouse uh, who he and his buddies uh, lived in these other of two parks that are in this town. Uh, the other of these two parks was actually overrun by a golf course, and so they were forced to relocate. They now live in a dark alley, where they have studied kung fu and become weapons of mouse destruction. That's from the movie. Uh, I don't particularly have an issue with that, I guess. What I did have an issue with, so there's hundreds of these mice that's a lot of mice don't get me wrong like that's a ton of mice and i think hundreds of mice could probably like overwhelm me physically and if they burst through my door and jumped on me like a wave of them i would probably fall over i'm just saying like i'm not that sturdy of a human being but i think that on average most human beings would be knocked over by hundreds of mice running over them. What wouldn't get knocked over is an armored truck. Like, I don't care how many mice you have. If they're normal-sized mice, they're not going to knock over a truck as what happens in the movie. A wave of mice come out the alley, into the street, crash into the side of a truck, and totally knock it over. Look, this is hundreds of mice. This is not like uh, a velociraptor, okay? This is not something that's actually a big creature that is actually has like a significant amount of forward momentum that can actually use its weight to knock something over. Like these are just mice, man. Come on, a wave of mice? No way. <sighs> Awful. And the last thing I wanted to bring up that I took notes on thing I actually did like. So two things I liked, three things I didn't. 
Uh, and this is, um, I mentioned those guys in hazmat suits. There's one guy, uh, he's carried away by these mice. They like, which, okay, ignoring that part, it's stupid. Carried away, pulled out of his suit, uh, and then the mice go inside the suit and reassemble the suit and use it to create a human-looking and human-shaped mice-mouse creation thing. So it's all these mice stacked on top of each other in the form of a human being inside of this hazmat suit. And it looks suitably awful. Like, you would not believe it's a human. (laughs) But it walks out from behind this crate, and the other humans look at it, and they're like, Bill, or whatever name they, they call him, and then you see Jackie Chan's mouse burst through one of the eyewear glasses and scream out something, and then they attack the other humans. Now, first and foremost, none of these people except the mice are trained in hand-to-hand combat, presumably. So, obviously, the mice win this fight. But I think what's so interesting is how they orchestrate and and choreograph this fight because it's not really a human being it's because like they wrap the thing the human beings the like boot around somebody's leg because they can do that because there's no bones that are getting in the way i thought the the reasoning behind it all is really stupid the execution however and the payoff i thought was actually decent because i've never seen that before you know, I've seen like a Mr. Fantastic type character, like a Mrs. Incredible and Elastigirl type character do stuff like that. But this is like just a different way of orchestrating such a thing. So I thought that was really cool and really interesting. All that being said, it's a terrible movie. The villain is the worst thing ever. Um, the 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 characters are unlikable. And just there's a daughter character of the villain. So you've got Bobby Moynihan who voices Mayor Muldoon. Muldoon. I think Isabella Monaire who voices Heather is the um is his daughter. I think that's who it is. And she is basically that girl with the braces from Finding Nemo who taps on the glass times a million she is like the cruelest meanest fucking person ever and so that's why the nut job 2 lowest rating of all these movies and one of the worst rated movies of the year with a three um so just absolutely dismal uh it makes the nut job 2 the second worst reviewed series of films on my spreadsheet uh, only above 50 shades of gray and that is not a place you want to be like it's worse than the smurfs it's worse than planes um it's just it's really really bad Uh, so nut job two nutty by nature don't go see it there were like 10 other people in this theater with me have them were kids, uh, but like even the kids, like they just didn't laugh ever. I don't know who this movie was aimed at, but I don't, I just don't get it, man. There's so many better movies out there.
well, not exactly right now, but like at least Despicable Me 3 or Cars 3, like those aren't awful, awful. They're just bad. <sighs> not job two, naughty by nature. Terrible. All right. Those are my six films uh, from this week. Uh, not that every week would have six films or that I'll do this every week. You know, there are definitely going to be weeks where I don't see enough movies um, or the movies that I do see are ones that I'm going to do single episode reviews for. Um, you know, there are definitely some bigger movies like I'm not going to where I'm definitely going to want to go into spoilers. These the only one I really would have wanted to go into spoilers for is Lady Macbeth, I think. But I, I'm perfectly fine at not doing that because I think you should go see it anyway. Uh, so that's kind of where that falls. Um, and then one last thing before I kind of sign off here. Uh, I really like Fantasy Movie League. I think it's a really fun game. I think it's enjoyable. It's interesting. It brings out the sort of statistician in me in a way that I don't generally get a chance to, to express myself. I don't know, that sound, maybe that sounds a little hokey, I don't know. But I really enjoy it. And now, I don't think that there are a ton of people, like, it's not as popular as other fantasy games. Like, obviously, fantasy football is, is hugely popular. And Fantasy Movie League, not so. Um, as of this moment, uh, there are 17,000 people participating in the fall season. Uh, and if you look at summer it's probably not going to tell me is it um times 10 2000 yeah it's not really going to tell me i think that the number of people in this this game has actually trended downwards since i joined like i think it was at 20,000 a couple seasons ago but so regardless so like i i get that it's not a super popular thing and if you're interested in it I really encourage you to look at it, check it out, see what it's about. Uh, and if you do that, um, check out my episode from last Wednesday um, about the Fantasy Movie League uh, and totally join the Cinerealists group on Fantasy Movie League. I think that's the best way. Like, I, I'm not going to create my own group for this thing. Or if I do, like, not for a while. I mean, I would, I'm not in any position to do that. I would say join their group. Uh, it's a small group and like the skill level is incredibly varied within that group and then you also hear me talk about you so that's what I was going to get at I want to not sort of focus so much on the fantasy movie league more but I just want to tag them at the end of the episode I put out on Wednesday so in last Wednesday's episode I talked about the fall season or the summer season, summer 2017 season, uh, and about the Fantasy Movie League page on my spreadsheet and different statistics therein. I want to do that weekly because I do like the game. and I do like, I just like having something else to keep track of and like that's enjoyable and like I'm already achieving track of it in my spare time anyway. Why not add it to the spreadsheet? Uh, so... It's not going to be long. It's probably going to be five to ten minutes at the end of that episode. So if you're not interested, it'll be easy to ignore it. Um, but it's going to be there. And I just, it's just something that I particularly like and something I enjoy. So just a heads up on that. Um, and that's going to be it. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you that have taken the time to do so. Uh, if you want to get into contact with me, you can head over to, or you can send emails to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to check out more information about the show, about the podcast, about me, uh, head over to circleoffilm.com. Uh, or check out the show notes for anywhere for other places you can go to uh, find the show and things like that. Uh, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from